0: You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Hallelujah. Amen. Just lift up your hands to God this, this morning and just express your love for Him. Lord, how we love you. How we love you. Thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for every breath. Thank you for health. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the privilege to call you Father. Oh, how we love you. We seize this opportunity express our gratitude for all you have done for who you are thank you father we ask lord that you speak to us this morning bless us as you have proposed in the name of jesus thank you father for your sweet presence in this place and we trust you for the grace to maximize your presence thank you father Jesus mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Somebody shout a really big amen. amen. Uh, Life point, is that the best you can do? Can I get, can I get a better amen? amen. Awesome. It, it's it's such a huge uh, privilege to be here. I am always delighted at every opportunity. I want to especially appreciate my very very good friend Pastor Idris. Uh, he's not here now but I love him with all of my heart. Please help me appreciate your pastor. He's a great man. A God lover, I want to thank uh, uh, Olga as well. She's not here. I want to appreciate Pastor Busola. I want to appreciate Foluola. All the leaders of LifePoint, please help me appreciate your leaders. Celebrate them very, very well. Is it possible for me to have the house light? I'd like to see people's faces. I know maybe this is your mood. This is your light. Okay, so I need to adjust. Okay, it's all right. I can. I will work with it. Praise God. Um, so I was, I was saying you should appreciate your leaders. Have you done that? Help me celebrate them properly, like you love them, like you really, really love them. Thank you very, very much for this opportunity. It's a joy for, for me to be here um, this morning. And um, I bring you God's word. I understand that you've been going through you're in a series where you're talking about church times, and um, I'm here to continue that conversation. Uh, I remember uh, several, several, several years ago. Um, I was still in, I think it was primary school or early secondary school, So suspect it was primary school. We would um, get up every Sunday morning, just like you're here in church, and uh, jump into the car with my parents, and we would dash off to church. Um, I My parents were Anglicans, of course, so my background is Anglican, and my dad uh, had a very successful career in civil service. He retired as a permanent secretary, uh, but he was also very active in the Anglican church. So. Uh, he was what they call people's warden. Uh, it was a volunteer role, but one that you had to, you know, sort of be quite available to um, to serve in. And so he would, of course, if your dad is the people's warden, you get to go to church every Sunday. You get what I mean? So um, and my mom was also quite active. She was part of a number of societies. So every Sunday morning, church was quite a drive, about 45 minutes or thereabouts to church we would jump into the car and, and race to church so that we're not late. And of course, if your dad is a people's wedding, you probably, probably get to church a bit earlier than other people. Now, that, that was a problem uh, that I sort of had with all of that setting as a young, you know, uh, child growing up and just seeing all of these regular, you know, Sunday visits to church. And the question that bogged my mind then was, why do you have to go to church every Sunday? Uh... Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to satisfy? Is it God? Is it the pastor? Is it my dad's uh, colleagues in church? Uh, uh, who will be angry if we didn't show up in church? Is it that God will, will thunder strike us if we didn't go to church on Sunday? Um, why do we have to do this every Sunday? What is the church thing about? I, I, I really could not figure it out. And I sort of followed them religiously. But, of course, my curious mind was just bogged by the, you know, fact that every Sunday was dedicated to gathering in a place and singing some hymns and listening to a pastor sermonize and all of that. And I I thought all of that was really boring. In fact, we were so disinterested in church. I remember my dad would come out of the car, um, usually trying to get into church as early as, as quickly as possible, toss the key to my elder brother and sort of race into the church. And there were times when you know, by the time he's coming back to the car after service, he sees us in the car waiting for him, and I assume that we've done church and we're waiting for him in the car. Meanwhile, we were in the car all along. We just, you know, collected keys, sat there listening to radio and just gisting. To make matters worse, uh, this time in my life, I know you guys, a lot of young people here, you may not be able to relate to what I'm saying, maybe a, a couple of people here. Uh, TV stations were not 24 hours. TV starts 4 p.m., And they will start with the National Anthem, National Pledge. And after that, there will be five minutes or so of news. And then after that, you watch um, Voltron, the Defender of the Universe, Super Ted, Danger Mouse, any witness in the house, you know? Yeah, I mean, those were the days. And so you sat glued in front of TV, you know, 4.30, they will start, and then you do your Super Ted and what have you. And on Saturdays and Sundays, they were special days because the TV station starts at 8 o'clock. I remember once having this conversation with my kids and I told them about how TV stations start at four and close at 12. And they were looking at me like, what do you mean close? I said, close. <laughs> they were like, how? how? How does a station close? I like, they they shut down. I said, Are you saying you would soft the channels and there'll be nothing? I said, nothing. So like, what does it look like? I said, it looks like flakes on the screen. You just, you won't see anything. And it was just hard for, you know, people that grew up, you know, maybe five, ten years ago, cannot comprehend the idea of you know, uh, TV station that shuts down midnight, because anytime they put on the TV, it's on. Anyway, for us then, it was, um, every time the TV was on, it was a big deal of some sort, and, you know, you, we, we didn't have Netflix and what have you. If You, you either belong to a video club, and have to be able to, you know, get movie, VHS or Betamax, to be able to watch new movies, or your dad must be a very generous person that keeps giving you money to buy Uh, um, movies, which was not the case, you know, in our family. So because of that, Saturdays and Sundays were special because 10 o'clock on Sundays, TV starts at 8 o'clock, and then 10 a.m. on Saturdays, we had the Saturday morning movie, which you all look forward to. And then on Sunday mornings as well, you had the Sunday morning movie that starts at 10 o'clock. And um, on Monday when you get back to school, um, Saturday morning movie and Sunday morning movie were the first discussions. For the day so imagine that i got to miss sunday morning movies every single sunday because we had to be in church and that sort of added to my personal frustration so if you had asked me then um, Debo, would you love to be in church on sunday or would you like to stay at home and watch the sunday morning movie your guess is as good as you know uh, as as mine i would have obviously opted to stay home and watch movies every Sunday because I just didn't understand this church thing. I didn't understand why we do it. And I, because I, I couldn't appreciate it, I did not connect with all that was happening. And I realized that even after I got born again, you know, and, and I was in Jesus GS, 2 when I got born again, I still had the same dilemma. Why this church thing, what is it about? Why do we have to do it? If I don't show up and I'm praying at home, who's angry? What am I upsetting? What, what's the problem? You know, uh, why do I have to, you know, go somewhere and gather with certain people to, you know, in order to, I don't know, be a good person? And it took me a while to sort of understand and appreciate, first, that the church is not what happens on Sunday. That what happens on Sunday is one of the ways church expresses itself. You get what I'm saying? That church is not necessarily what happens on Sunday. What happens on Sunday is one of the expressions of church. That the church is the body of Christ. When you get born again... You are baptized into the body of Christ. I suspect there are quite a number of people. If you're going to be sincere and honest with yourself, you are sitting in that space in your heart. Like this church thing, I like it. I get to see Sister Felicia. I get to see Brother Femi. I get to see I don't know why people brother brother lies and sister lies each other here. But whichever way you go, you know I get to see this person and we have fun. But uh, beyond all of that, and we pray. I know God answers prayers, but I'm not sure beyond that. You know, and do I have to see him or see her every Sunday? you know they have to really participate in this stuff like that it's it's possible that those are the questions that you ask yourself you need to understand like i, I was saying earlier that the, the church the, the the church is not This is not what happens on Sunday. What happens on Sunday is one of the ways church expresses itself, okay? Uh, The church is the body of Christ. Everyone that is born again and has declared Jesus as their Lord and Savior is a part of the body of Christ. So we have this universal body, and this body functions seven days a week, 24 hours a day. The body of Christ is alive. If there's someone who is writing a book right now, writing a track, people are praying somewhere, Um, some people are on mission field doing stuff wherever they are, that is church, praise God. Church, is, church happens every day. Church doesn't shut down. We don't close church. So once you get born again, whether you got born again in your room by yourself or you attended a church service or you read a book or someone witnessed to you on the street or you had an early morning cry, whatever it is, once you're born again, you are part of the body of Christ. You're part of this universal body. But there's a little bit of challenge there. If you leave it there, well, um, you're not able to actively receive nourishment from the church and you're not able to receive a proper pastoral care from the church because the universal church, that's the universal body of Christ that we all belong to, does not have an address. It's not located anywhere. It's just the body of Christ. People who share the same faith, you know, people who believe in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the local church is an expression of the universal church, and it is that part of the body that you're able to make physical contact with, if you know what I mean, where you're able to uh, receive nourishment, where you're able to receive pastoral care, where you're able to be blessed, and where you're able to also release your own ministry to be a blessing to other people. And it is from that local church that the the body of Christ is able to nourish you uh, more directly, and it's almost also able to superintend your spiritual growth and enable you to also be a blessing to other people. And you need that foundational understanding so that you can appreciate better the purpose of a church. And that's what I'm I'm going to be speaking to this morning. So um, this morning, I'm going to go through uh, the purpose of a church to help many people answer the question that I had um, several years ago that sort of bugged my mind and obviously affected my relationship with the church because I realized then that once you don't know the purpose of a thing, I think it was Dr. Moron that said that abuse is inevitable. The reason why I, I would not engage the church purposefully, the reason why I was not interested in going into the auditorium, the reason why I drag my feet every morning when it was time to prepare for church um, and I looked for every excuse not to make it to church was because I didn't understand what the church was about. And so if for whatever reason, maybe my dad traveled or my parents are not able to make it, if for whatever reason, church was not possible on a Sunday, it was celebration for us, you know, I didn't feel any sense of, you know, loss because I didn't want to be there anyway. So what is the purpose of a church? Uh, you're, you're part of this local assembly now, the, the local expression of the universal body as a believer called Life Point. What is, what is the purpose of Life Point? What is this church meant to do to you, do for you? What is this church meant to call out of you? And those are the things I would like to speak to this morning. Is that okay? All right. So I would, I would uh, I will start from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, from verse 35 to 40. Matthew 22, 35 to 40. Jesus was asked a very important question, really important question, one of the most important questions you will find in the Bible. Uh, and the question was this. The Bible says, uh, verse 35, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Testing him and saying, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Or another translation is, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. I always like to say to people that you see, when you think about the word of God, God is awesome. God is like a, this very generous, very kind um, father who would uh, give you the, the, the curriculum, then it will, it will teach you the curriculum, and it will give you the marking scheme, right? Uh, and it will show you the answers, and then ask you to write the exam, meaning that you're not supposed to fail. You get what I'm trying to say? It, it, it gives you everything that you need to know, supports you with all the information I require, and lets you know how he's going to grade your, your script. And then tells you to write the exam. So, really, it's an exam you should not fail. They asked Jesus here. Yeah, now, Jesus was so direct with his response. Which is the greatest of the laws and the, the commandments? And if you, it's, if you understand the way the Bible is structured, you realize that we have the Ten Commandments, but we have so many other laws, so many other instructions. And in the Torah, there are about 600 and something of those laws, 600 and something of those laws. And so these guys were asking him, of all these laws, which is the greatest, which is the most important to God? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is that you will love the Lord with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. And in saying that, Jesus was trying to make something abundantly clear. That if you you were to ask God, what is the essence of all these laws? What is the essence of all these commandments? What is the essence of all these instructions that you have, that you gave the children of Israel in the Old Testament? All of those instructions, what is the essence of it? That God will tell you that the essence of all of that is I want to have a relationship with you. A love relationship. I love you so much. And I want us to have fellowship. I want us to have a relationship. And... I want that relationship to also overflow and spill into how you relate to one another. Love the Lord. God loves you already. He loves you so passionately. That's why he sent his only begotten son uh, to, as an expression of that love. And he wants us to love him in return. So when he said, oh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't have any other God before me. And all these Levitical laws about how they should come to the tabernacle and give offerings and, and bring their tithes and bring animals and do whatever. All of that was about, I just love to have fellowship with you guys. I love to have a relationship. Jesus was saying, that is it. That is it. And so, the number one purpose of a church, if you're going to put this out, the number one purpose of a church is worship. God is about relationship. God is about a deep connection with his sons, a, 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 an intimate love relationship. God loves you so much and he wants to have fellowship with you. That is so humbling that the creator of the, of the heavens and near, the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you and he has given put everything on the table for that relationship. Somebody say, God wants to spend time with me. God cherishes his time with me. Um, for, for, me for, for many people, it's sort of hard to process, but that is the truth. And that was why Jesus came And Jesus made it that abundantly clear. Now, the problem these days is that in church, we've gotten that somehow twisted up. And we've, we, have, we have lost the sense of that purpose. Because when we approach God, when we come to church, uh, many of us go to church. And when you're going to give your life to Christ, he told you, if you need to give your life to Christ if you want to have a successful life, if you want to be married, you want to have good children, you need to give your life to Christ if you want to succeed in your career, you need to give your life to Christ if you want to be healed, you need to give your life to Christ if you want good things to happen to you in life, you get what I'm trying to say, and so uh, you need to give your life to Christ if you don't want to go to hell, hell, fire, eternal fire, and so, you know, we rush and commit our life to Christ uh, on the basis of those things that we're told, and it takes our eyes away from relationships, so you have a, a lot of people who are born again today and they, they don't understand that really at the very heart of it is that God wants to have a relationship and God wants to worship us. You know, Jesus was speaking to the woman by the well of Samaria and he said something really profound. The woman was asking Jesus, oh, do we come to Jerusalem as, as Samaritans? Do we come to Jerusalem to worship or do we stick with this mountain? And Jesus said, look, the hour has come and now is that the, those that worship God will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. But he doesn't stop there. The next statement is one that just touched me to my very core. It says, For God seeketh such. For God seeketh such. And it just hit me. There are, there are a category of people that God s- seeks out. God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. God seeketh such. God seeks worshipers. They, God wants to have a relationship with you. And so our getting saved, our coming into the body of Christ, coming to the church, is first about worship, that we cultivate a relationship with God, that we fall in love with God, that we develop an intimacy with God. That's what God wants first, before before anything else. And so when people come into church and they they go about, oh God, bless me with this, bless me with that, those things, Jesus did not die for you to, to get a good job. People have been getting good jobs before Jesus died. Jesus did not die for you to make money. There were already rich people before Jesus came. Jesus did not die for you to be comfortable. There were people already comfortable before Jesus came. Just think about it. Read your Bible. The Bible is clear. Solomon was around before Jesus came. There were many rich people. Rich people. Even when Jesus was alive, rich young ruler. People were doing okay. So God would not have come to, to give his life just so that you can be more comfortable for your marital destiny. Come on. I'm not saying those things are not important. I'm saying those things are benefits of our redemption. It's, there's not a purpose of our redemption. The purpose of our redemption is first relationship. God wants a relationship with us. And so you need to be interested in, 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 in fellowshipping with God. You need to be interested in a love relationship with God. That's what God wants. That's what it craves. The Bible says He seeks such people. And so we have people today who see God as their relationship with God is very transactional. When they come to church, it's about getting the things I need, the things I want. I need admission. I need this. I'm trusting God for a child. I'm trusting God for breakthroughs. I'm trusting God for this. And so God has become this massive spiritual ATM machine. And, you know, your salvation is your card. And they say, once you just come to church, just slot it in. I'm saved. And then you press the scripture. One day of fast, two days of clinical, and then God is supposed to dispense. And so our relationship with him is just, he should give to me what I need, and then I move on. And if he doesn't dispense that way, I get frustrated. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not working. What is not working? Worship. Somebody say worship. A protege of mine once said this, and I found it really interesting. I was speaking to her, and she said... Pastor, I'm tired. I'm tired. Like, I'm tired of praying and confessing and believing. I'm tired. I I just want to stop. (laughs) And I said to her, I said, but that's the problem. said, how do I mean? I said, you see, I don't get tired of praying. I don't get tired of worshiping. I don't get tired of declaring God's word because I don't do it because I want to get something. I do it because I have a relationship with God. So if I believe God for something and it has not manifested yet, my prayer is not to walk answer out of God. My prayer is not to try and bombard him to give me stuff. I just continue my relationship with him because I love him, because he's my father. So I, I will, I, how can I get tired of praying when it's a love relationship? How can I get tired of spending time with him? because I love? It. But when I get tired of praying, I get tired of confessing his word. I get tired of doing spiritual things because for me it's a transaction. He's supposed to have dispensed by now what's going on. You get what I'm trying to say? It's supposed to have happened. So I'm tired of praying because the prayer was always about get, 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 get. Uh, God is wiser than all of us put together. And he loves us so dearly. And he's first about it, that relationship. Everything else flows from the relationship, okay? So the first purpose is worship. Somebody say worship. And, and I, we need to be intentional. Jesus said what God wants is that we love him all of our heart and soul because that is how much he loves us. And once you get into that space, every other thing else then can come in. Let me move on quickly to the second purpose. It's really important. In Matthew chapter 28 from verse 18 to 20. Let me also say this before I move on. I think it's quite interesting. You know, um, when people come to church, regular service, still talking about worship, to worship like the um, band, you know, in worship and all that some people think all of that is really about how danceable the song is and how it makes you feel we need to be interested in learning how to express our love for God that's really the essence of the worship experience we're not we're not here to it's not a show is is opportunity to love upon God. It's opportunity to find words. And people who have been gifted with the, with the gift of, of writing songs would put together words uh, to express love and appreciation and confidence in God. When we gather together as a family and, and we're worshiping, what we're doing is we are, people are giving, helping us to find words to express our love and appreciation for God. And we should take advantage of those opportunities to. Really engage and to pour our hearts to God and borrow some of those words and take them to our own personal place of devotion, and so we can we can we can we can express our hearts to God, and find words to show Him how much we love Him and how much we appreciate Him, and things just begin to happen, you know, Hallelujah. Second purpose is uh, I will take that from Matthew chapter 28. Uh, the Bible calls this the Great Commission. Matthew 28: 18 to 20. It says. Uh, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus here speaking said, uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he said, go. Somebody say go. He didn't say sit down. What did he say? No, why is that, go? that go is sounding very weak. What did he say? Say like you are saying it's a goal, like your favorite clubs got a goal. Okay. Say, like, the team you detest the most just lost a match. Uh, and you are saying, thank God for that goal. Say, go. Okay, I can manage that. So, 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 but here, here's the point um, the, Jesus delegated the authority to preach the gospel to us. And if you don't preach the gospel, it will not be preached. It will not be preached. I was just sending them in the mainland church before I left the second service. I said to them, I said, if everybody, there's, there's, there's nobody in this room that would say to me, you know, I got saved. I just woke up one morning. I realized I need a savior. I realized I needed a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 years ago, he died for me, shed his blood for me. And if I accept him as my Lord and savior, I shall be saved. And you just close your eyes, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and savior. And you did all of that by yourself. You never heard about Jesus anywhere. You never read a tract, never read a book, never listened to a TV program, never went to any church, nobody witnessed to you. You just woke up and found out you needed a Savior and you realized that there was a Savior and you prayed by yourself. I've not met that human being just yet. In fact, do you realize that in the time of Cornelius, when Cornelius, a man, a very devout man who was worshiping God with his arms and offerings, when he it got to a point and God knew that this guy was operating based on the old covenant and wanted to, to sort of reach his family, he sent an angel to him. An angel appeared to Cornelius and said, your prayers and alms have been heard. And send now to Joppa to meet Peter. He's in the house of a Peter called Tana, And let him come and show you the way. When I read that scripture, the first thing that, said to, that, that came to my mind was, ah, wait, oh. so uh, this guy was going to send people to Joppa. I don't know how many days trekking. You know, that would have been, and then they will meet Peter there and persuade this Peter, who is still struggling with God about, you know, uh, ministry to the Gentiles, to follow him all the way back. But the angel is already here now, and the angel knows what happened. Why did the angel just tell him, ah, okay, uh, the curriculum has changed Jesus has come and died, shed his blood. I mean, seeing an angel, will you not believe the message? You get what I'm trying to say? Like, you know, um, the curriculum has changed. Jesus died, rose again, third day. You know, I can even show you some vision so you can see what happened. So give your life to Christ. And the angel can move on. It, it, it looks more efficient in terms of it saves everybody, the time and the drama. But why didn't the angel preach? Why didn't the angel just deliver the message? The angel is very capable. The angel is aware of what had happened. Why didn't God just allow the angel to deliver the message and get Cornelius saved as quickly as possible? Because... Angels have not been given the authority to preach the gospel. That is awesome. Angels have not been given the authority, permission to preach the gospel. Angels don't preach the gospel. Angels support us in doing the work of the gospel. Jesus delegated that authority to the church. Therefore, if everybody in the world today, if all the Christians in the world today gathered in one place and decided that we're not going to preach the gospel anymore. We won't write, just won't write another book, another track. We do no TV programs again. And all that. I can assure you that no single human being in this world will be saved again. That's how powerful we are as human beings. There is nobody in this world today that got saved without encountering the word of God through the mouth or through the ministry of another person. We are the ones that have been given assignment to preach. So the, 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 a, a very important purpose of a church is evangelism. And I'm, I'm so delighted that you have the N70, which is your, your, your missions uh, uh, ministry here. And I know that they're doing fantastic work. But you guys need to understand that it is not just the work of a, a handful of people. It is our collective responsibility. Somebody say it is my responsibility. It's my responsibility to the gospel. So if, if 20 people are doing it here and they are getting the kind of results we're getting, imagine if everybody does it. Jesus said, go. Because if you don't go, it won't be done. You know, today we look at the world and say, ah, all sort of stuff happening, people are misbehaving, all sort of vices, all sort of evil everywhere, and, you know, we can at times feel overwhelmed. But you know, part of the reason why it is that pervasive is that some people who should be saved are not yet saved, because some of us have refused to speak. Everybody here that is born again today, I hope, is excited that they are saved, and so, if you, are, if you delight in your salvation, why would not you share it? Because when you have something good, you are quick to talk about it. Praise the Lord. God expects us to go. Somebody said, God expects me to go and preach the gospel. Before I leave this, uh, this point, I realized that for some people, as soon as I said evangelism, they just sort of powered down inside. Like, eh, that's not my thing. It's a bit awkward. Just me, someone, you know, how far? You know Jesus? <laughs> eh, you know he died for you. You know, and I don't know how to go about it. I don't know the right set of scriptures to use. And that's the reason why I have refused to go. But I, I want to counter that this morning very quickly by saying to you that everybody here, without exception, all of you here, you are evangelists and you have been preaching. All of you have been evangelizing. So it's not something that you are shy about. The only thing is that it's not necessarily Jesus you have been evangelizing, but you have been evangelizing something else. And you do it so well. You do it so well. i give you just one example, and I'll move on. What's your name there? Dami Lola. Everybody, clap for Dami. Come on, come on, say Dami. Sorry I'm putting you on the spot. But, you know, I know a little bit about hair. And I, I was scanning around. I know this is real hair. She did. It's not, it's not weak. So that's why I decided to borrow her for this example. Because some people, what they have on is beautiful, but it's, it's weak. Now, Dami, Dami has this braids on, and it's even tinted braids. Come on, you know. Uh, and so just imagine Dami, uh, Dami walks into a office on Monday, you know, with this really nicely done hair. And people go like, whoa, Dami, you're looking hot. You're looking, you know, XYZ, whatever slags you guys use these days. And, and you know, they're like, oh, you know, this is nice. So, you know, where did you do this? And then she, she just... She just Oh, you know, I have this stylist, I have this hairdresser. She's somewhere, you know, maybe Koyi or I don't know, wherever, lucky one. And she does, she, she does such an excellent job. And her hand is not painful, and she's very fast, and, and she begins to see all of that. And then, what's the next question our colleague has? Can I have her number? Does she have an Instagram handle? Where's their salon? Am I right? Has her colleague been to that salon before? Does she know anybody there? But suddenly she's so convinced, she's fully persuaded that the next time she wants to do braids, she's going to go to the salon that Dami recommended. What is that? Evangelism. Evangelism. And Dami is so persuasive. But what makes Dami so persuasive? Why is, why is she so convincing? Why, why, why do her colleagues believe her so much? Why is it that they connect so quickly? Many of you guys are the reason why some of those guys are making tons of money. You have advertised their business. People are flocking the place because of your evangelism. Same thing with some of your fashion designers. You know, like, oh, I like your skirt. What did you do? pass, so you give the address. Bah, give the Instagram handle. And people are thronging there because of you. So don't tell me you don't know how to evangelize. You have been doing an excellent job at evangelism. Or you are not evangelizing Jesus Christ. So the question is, how did Dami, how was how did Dami end up being so persuasive and convincing? Let me tell you how. Because she was sharing her authentic experience. She wasn't referring to any magazine somewhere, a catalog somewhere. She was sharing her experience. I went to this salon. Please help me clap for Dami. You can go and have your seat. God bless you. She was sharing her personal experience. I went to this salon. They, they did such a fantastic job. I, I love what they did. Look at what they did. And look at how it makes me look. And they did it so well. And I can recommend this. Way. And because it was our experience, it was authentic. And her colleagues could co- connect to that. And so when people ask me, how do I evangelize? I don't know enough scripture. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to quote the wrong passage of the Bible and all of that. I just Who's asking you to do all of that? Tell your story, your authentic experience. Why did you give your life to Christ? What happened to you? What convinced you about Jesus? What were you like before? What are you like now? What has happened to you since you gave your life to Christ? What changed? That is enough. That is your authentic story. You you, you would be able to communicate that with passion, and the Holy Spirit can work with that. You don't need to start talking from, you know, (laughs) I remember the first time a friend of mine, persuaded me back then secondary school to preach the gospel to someone. I started from Genesis. I was like, you know, in the garden, God told Adam and Eve not to eat. And the girls at me, Genesis. Ah, where are we going from here? You, you, you know. but, but you know, the thing is, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Share your story. Tell your neighbor, share your story. That is good enough. It's good enough. Where were you before? What convinced you that Jesus is the Lord, is, is the way? and what has happened to you since you gave your life to Christ what has changed what has changed hallelujah and we 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 therefore do not have any excuse for not preaching the gospel paul the apostle as as, as knowledgeable as he was of the books of the scripture as a very erudite and uh, a man with great insight into the in, into the word of god a great insight into the laws and the prophets When he will go through the book of Acts, and you notice again and again how many times Paul would tell his story of his journey to Damascus. Now we encountered Christ on the way to Damascus because that was his authentic story. And he was never tired of sharing that story because that was the truth of his salvation. Praise the Lord. So the second purpose of a church is evangelism. God expects you to, what you have experienced, the blessing that you have partaken of, to share with other people, share with your family members. Number three, I could spend the rest of this week, if I came every day, on this third point, but I will try to restrain myself. Number three, Jesus said, go and make disciples, right? What did he say? Disciples. Uh, there's a difference between a believer and a disciple. Uh, the word disciple is from the word discipline, um, and it's, that's, the, that's the root word. So if you say you're a disciple of Christ, you are disciplined after the order of Christ. So Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. The third purpose of a church, so we've spoken about worship, right? God expects us to have a love religion. Second, we've spoken about, uh, we've spoken about evangelism. And the third is, God expects us to be discipled, to mature. It, this is one of the greatest frustrations of, of God. With the church as it is today. The church is full of babies, people who have refused to grow, people who just believe that once I get saved, that's all that is required of me. I don't need to move from that point. I don't need to mature. And it's the reason why there's so much uh, lack of impact. There's so much uh, that should happen in the body of Christ that is not happening. There's so much that should happen in the life of believers that is not happening because people refuse to grow. And when you refuse to grow, you are not able to maximize the, all the benefits that accrue to you as a son of God. Praise God. And, and that's so important. You see, there is, there is, the, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Right? It says, For the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I believe that's Romans chapter 8. Okay? Now, Listen to this, it says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do what? They don't walk after the flesh, but walk what? After the spirit. Why? He said, because there is a principle called the law of spirit of life. And it is that law that helps me to overcome the law of sin and death. So when I was not a believer, I was operating under what is called the law of sin and what? Death. But the law of spirit of life is what has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, when you see a believer that has not developed dexterity in the in, in application of the word of God, because they don't understand spirituals, they cannot navigate in the spirit properly. They don't understand spiritual life. It's like someone who's left Nigeria and is now living in the U.S., but is, living, is still living like he's in Nigeria. He's not going to be able to maximize Uh, the benefits of living in that country. You get what I'm trying to say? Because there are different laws and there are all sorts of opportunities that you may not be privy to because you are not behaving like you are in a different setting. A lot of people are born again, but if you ask them, you say, the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? How does he operate? Now that I'm born again, what principles am I supposed to live by? The principles, the laws of love. Unconditional love. The laws of agape. Giving and forgiving. The laws of faith. Standing on God's word. The principles of stewardship. And on and on and on like that. There are people who are they are completely oblivious of these principles. They don't recognize the fact that now that I'm born again, there are entirely different set of principles by which I must live by things, I must abide by, and so... They are in the kingdom, but they are behaving like they are still unsaved. And they expect to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. And that is where the challenge is because things are not working for them and they are frustrated. But they don't know that they are, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to develop an understanding and learn how to operate these laws. And that is how I begin to demonstrate a measure of maturity, spiritual maturity. And I can navigate and prosper in that space. And so it's important for us to recognize that God expects us to grow. Folusho, Folusho has, how many kids do you have, Folusho? You have two kids. Your first kid is eight. What's, is it a boy or girl? Girls. So what's her, what's her name? Simisola. So I'm going to use Simisola as an example, if you don't mind. Simisola is going on tape. She's going on CD, right? So, so um, I, I try to imagine when uh, Folusho gave birth to Simisola and, you know, she was born. I just, uh, let's put that on telly. Just imagine that we're, we're watching that whole experience. Simisola is born and everybody's excited. And she sends a message to everybody. You know, Simisola is born. Well, she doesn't have a name then, just like, oh, it's a baby girl. And everybody is excited, her sisters, everybody. Okay, now a few days later, maybe eight days, they do the naming. And so she's she's named Simisola. And Felicia is just excited, you know, breastfeeding her. And Simisola has she has no responsibility whatsoever no responsibility. The only thing she does is she just sleeps, and she wakes up, and she eats, and she pulls. And whenever she's uncomfortable, she just cries. And everything in the house is configured to respond to her inconvenience. As soon as she cries, you know, the mom goes and grabs her. Oh, maybe diaper is wet, or maybe she's hungry, or she's uncomfortable, or she just needs some rocking. And so that's all that is happening, you know, and it's great. I mean, it's it's a proof of love. So you know what? She's excited. Her husband is excited. Grandpa and grandma are excited. Am I right? You know, it's it's a newborn baby. And that happens for a while. And you know the Bible says there's a parallel. When you get born again, it says there's so much joy in heaven over one person I saved that over 99, I need no repentance. But let's 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 continue to watch. So a time comes and uh, you know the baby is used to that, uncomfortable with just Christ, and she has no apology for her behavior. She can cry in the middle of the night. She doesn't care that you guys just started sleeping. You guys have to wake up and attend to her. You might have just finished cleaning her up and changing her diapers. If she feels like going again, she's not going to say, ah, it's unfair. Or, you just change this diapers. She'll just go, right? That's really your headache. You, you, you do not sort that out. You know, for her, it's just as she likes. And you're at her back. and call. If you, you have f- just finished feeding her, she, she's a bit uncomfortable. She just cries. You can be at an event where everybody's supposed to be quiet and everything, and she's uncomfortable. She doesn't say, ah, oh, this, is, this is not a proper setting. She's not embarrassed. She just, ah! And you, you have to respond to that. But it's okay. It's okay for a while. And then, after a while, Pulisic says, hmm, I need to win this baby. No more breast milk. We need to start training you with some solid. And um, a few months down the line, maybe, you know, Simisola just one day says, Mama, and you are stunned. And you get emotional like she called me mommy and you know tears are rolling down your eyes oh my god you know and all of that and you're you're, you're really feeling it and why because you're just excited that she's she's becoming more aware you know of our environment and she's she's learning language and then you know somewhere down the line she tries to walk and i, I can imagine her sort of getting on her feet and holding on to something, trying to let go of that, and she's about to take a few steps, her first steps, and everybody's shouting, "Go, Simi, go, Simi!" And she's, she's sort of trying to balance, and 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 mom has her camera out, and they're trying to capture her, and then she takes her first few steps, and everybody's screaming and just shouting. Simi takes her first step, and you record it on video, and you know, you, you send it everywhere, it's, uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, and all of that, and say, "Simi's first step," hashtag she walks, you know, <laughs> and and it's all you know. Why why are you doing all of that? Why, Why are you doing all of that? You're excited. Why are you excited? Why are you excited? Because she's growing. So progress is exciting. Am I right? Progress is exciting. God forbid. I mean, it can't happen anymore. But imagine if six months, one year, she wasn't talking and she was not walking. You will still love her, right? As passionately as you as as you did when she was born. But you'll be worried. Why will you be worried? After we still have a baby, she's breathing, and she's eating, and she's alive. Why will you be worried? Because she's supposed to be developing. You have expectations. And as a parent, because you have expectations, you begin to do certain things that when Simi thinks about it in her small brain, she may think initially that you're wicked. Like suddenly you say, all right, we're done with diapers. We're, we're removing diapers. Now it's time for potty training. And I remember then when we had our kids, it was grandmother taught us this song. You tell them, if you want to wee wee, go to the party. If you want to poop, go to and so you start you start training them and they you sing, sing it after me. If you want to wee wee, go to the party. If you want to poop okay, so to the party. And you're saying we can't continue to spend money on hoggies and diapers and all of that. Enough of that. You now need to party train. And when she's hungry and she starts crying, you're like, hush, your mouth. If you are hungry, you open your mouth and say, Mommy. I'm hungry. No more crying in this house. Do you understand me? Say, yes, mommy. (laughs) Why are you doing that? Oh, you wicked mommy. (laughs) Why? Why? Why why don't you allow her to just continue screaming and crying? Because at a particular phase of life, that becomes a bit odd. You expect her to be able to speak. And then you get to a point where you begin to say to Simi, no, no, no. You go get your cup. Go get your cup and bring it here. And then, Simi, pack pack your toys. You can't scatter this place. Put them in the box. When you're done playing with your toys, I want them in the box in your room. Is that okay? If I see the toys here, I'm gonna whatever naughty corner spank your or whatever it is. So, pack 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 your toys. Why are you why are you becoming such a terror to this young girl? Why are you not allowing her to just keep sleeping and crying? And at some point, Simi begins to do small house chores like make your bed, right, and wash your plates and run these errands. And she becomes more useful in the house to the point where at some point in her life, she begins to take responsibility for some of the things that happening in the home. That's what makes for a proud parent, right? So let's, let's now flip that script and put it in the spiritual dimension. You get born again, and when you got born again, there was rejoicing in heaven. A new baby has been born. Praise the Lord. And the angels are at your baby. You, you know, when you need anything, you just cry. Wah! And, you know, answer. Just give it. Whether the prayer makes sense or not. How many of you experienced that? You know what I'm talking about. It was just like you were, you were having a ball. You know, like, I don't say, God, I don't know. And you're like, bah. I was like, hey, this thing is working. God is faithful. And you like it like that. So what do you do? Instead of growing, you think, this is the strategy. When I'm uncomfortable, just cry. So, you know, you know, what, believers, you just cry. And so, now you start crying at some point, and you're not getting any kind of response anymore. You, you on your diapers. You think you should still someone should come and change you. And go like, yeah, you're, you're gone past diaper. You're going to clean yourself up this time around. And many of us are uncomfortable. And you know what we do? Uh, is like when a child is spoiled and nobody tells you that you need to start talking. He feels that if I'm crying and I'm not getting attention, I should cry louder. Hmm? So you see people, they just cry louder. Ah, more noise. Ah, more noise. And nothing's happening because it's not that God loves you less. When Felicia was doing all of those kind of things to see me and, and challenging her to take more responsibility was it because you, now, you, are, you are less interested in how you love Alice because you, actually, you are loving her more on a regular basis. On a daily basis, she loves her more and she expects her to grow because growing up in the house, she can enjoy the benefits of being in that home a lot more and she takes responsibility. So God says, you cannot stay like that. You cannot. In this family, I, I'm not going to keep you as a baby. You need to grow up. So you, you see people just cry more. And that's how some people pray. It's just like a baby that's crying. You know, if you have a, a very experienced grandma, and there's a baby that is crying when it has been sorted, they'll tell you, leave the baby, just let him continue crying. You will cry and you will sleep. So don't touch her, just leave her, let her be crying. So, so th- some people are in that phase where God is saying, you need to understand that you are past this season. you are, you are crying and you're making more noise. And you just you feel like let me just disturb heaven. Let me make them restless. And so when I hear things like bombard heaven. Tear. I was like, why are you bombarding heaven? I need a, I need a... Um, and you're like, come, come. Let me use you as an example. <laughs> when you say bombard heaven, hold that phone, that phone. You know, there's a picture of God that people have painted I feel is strange. So, uh, I want to use Analia because if I, if I harm him, we'll understand. He's, we came together. we not... So, I want you to hold this phone like you don't want to give it to me. Hold it very firmly. But when it gets painful, just release it. Eh? So, this is some people's idea of how to engage with God? Better easy. Oh. Why you not it? And you not say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you, you not collect it? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, for being such a good father. So, is that how you collect stuff from a good father? Versus, please make it available for me. Thank you very much. We'll have you have your seat. You see, you see, some people's relationship, because they, like, bombard heaven, like, God doesn't want to release it, but when you make noise, when you attack heaven, when, you know, heaven is restless, and they cannot sleep, and God cannot engage in anything, or anything apart from your, you just say, give, 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 and then when you collect, you're know, say, thank you, Father, for for who you are, for how faithful, hey, I mean, it, that picture doesn't make sense, right? How, how, how does the father say he loves and gives his begotten some way require you to bombard him like that before he gives you stuff you should know that it doesn't add up so i said to people we are in that realm where we feel we have to be aggressive with god because we don't understand the father that we have and we refuse to mature because when jesus was on earth there was no time he bombarded the father for anything and he was blessed and he enjoyed the good things of life and he fulfilled his purpose because he understood. The relationship between a son and a father. A lot of the things we're doing as believers, we're doing because we, we are not maturing. And that's a critical purpose of church. People don't understand what it means to be a believer. They need to grow spiritually, they need to develop a life of faith. They need to be intentional about your love work. They need, they need to know what life in the spirit means so that you can maneuver and navigate. In that spiritual dimension, with ease and get results. Jesus said, "Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. Learn of me, for me can loan you. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light." The message translation I believe says, "I'm going to teach you the enforced rhythms of grace. It's not by giddy. It's not by a strong head. People do some stuff now. It just, just, to I me, mean, it just doesn't look like God. You don't need that to get stuff from God." The Bible says there's given us freely all things we enjoy. What are you talking about? But God said something to me change my life forever. And so I need to know how much time I have. Whether I can even talk to other purposes. But he said something to changed my life forever. I, was, I think I was in university then. And he said to me one day, he said, um, when you wake up in the morning in the house and you, you need to, you're hungry, you want to have breakfast, he said, do you need to see your dad and mom before you have breakfast? I said, no. Say, do you go to the, to their room and knock the door and wake them up and first greet them good morning, roll on the floor, thank them for being a good parents and, and all of that uh, before you have breakfast? I said, of course not. He said, so what do you do? I said, I go to the kitchen. Say, why? I said, because everything I need to fix breakfast is in the kitchen. You have, you know, your, your, your gas cooker, you have your, your gas, you have the frying pan, the pots, the oil, the, the bread, the yam, the whatever you want, the cereal, everything is in the kitchen, right? So I said, I go to the kitchen. I said, okay. So he says, okay. So everything you need to get breakfast, if you're hungry, is in the kitchen. I said, yeah. He said, so what if you don't know how to cook? Uh, He said, would that be your parents' fault or your fault? I said, that would be my fault. So I said, okay, so... uh, would the reason why you're hungry be because there's no food in the kitchen or because you don't know how to cook? I said, the reason would be because I don't know how to cook. He said, what would be the solution? So the solution would be you learn to cook. He said, great. And he made a statement to me. He said, therefore, he said, go to the kitchen and fix yourself breakfast. He said, go to the kitchen and fix yourself breakfast. Stop behaving like I have not stuck to the kitchen. Stop talking to me like I have not stuck the kitchen. Go and learn how to cook and fix your breakfast. Some of the things that we're, we're saying God has not yet done, he has done it. He has finished it. It's sorted. You don't know how to cook. You don't know how to cook. So you are there banging the door and saying, bombard heaven, bombard heaven. I go like, why are you bombarding heaven? I don't. I, getting stuff from God is not that hard. Come on. It gives us feelings. If there's anything at all, when I'm fasting, I'm fasting to align myself, to keep my flesh quiet, to keep my spirit sensitive. The, the, the real warfare is the reining my body in, renewing my mind with God's word so I can live a life of faith. The warfare is not with God. I don't, I'm not fighting warfare with God. God has made things available. I'm the one that needs to know how to access it and how to how to handle the things that I've been given to. I need to understand how spiritual things work. I need to understand the dimension of faith and patience, that I have need of patience after I've done the will of God, that I may hear the promise that when I'm waiting on God for manifestation of certain things, there is a way I should behave for until there's manifestation. And that thing is not necessary because God is holding back. It is the principle of life in the spirit that for things to move from the spiritual to the physical, there is always a time lag. And I need to view everything in alignment with God's purpose and plan for my life. But many people lack that understanding. They just want to force things, force things, force things, force things, force things. And it's looking like maybe God is not faithful. It's looking like this thing is not working. It's looking like, but we, we don't confront the main issue, which is our ignorance, our, inap- our unwillingness to grow. And I, I mean, it stems from simple things like people are not reading the Bible anymore. People are not engaging with Christian literature. They think it's not interesting. It's not supposed to be interesting. It's supposed to be empowering. It's not a storybook it's a book of life it's not for your entertainment it's for your development what the Bible is supposed to be interesting is not supposed to be interesting I commend you to God and the word of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified what is interesting about that? we are talking about life Jesus said the words I speak to you they are spirit and they are life you are talking about interesting interesting is a discipline that the word of God will not depart the, the blessed man is a man that meditates in the word day and night and it is careful to observe the, the capacity to do is, is, is imparted because of his constant fellowship with the word that people here for instance never show up at midweek service you just think I've been to church on Sunday that's the, it, that's the reason see when you don't know the purpose of a thing your, your demeanor your, 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 your reaction your response to it will be very nonchalant well, ah, they you want to listen to on Sunday is it not enough I'll see them again next Sunday you need light you need understanding you need to develop yourself spiritually you need to build spiritual capacity to be able to move things in the realm of spirit. Some people cannot move squat general, when they speak nothing happens they don't even know what's going on in that realm they are so on earth everything about them is on earth they don't understand the spiritual dimension to things everything that's happening around them they interpret it from what they can see, hear and touch that's unfortunate what kind of believer is that? that you cannot speak to the spiritual dimensions of your life. You don't know that the the things that are seen are controlled and manipulated by the things that are unseen and you're a born again Christian. You are going to make yourself such a cheap victim. The people that believe that the the, the pastor's prayer is more potent than their prayer. I don't know where you've seen that in the Bible. People in the New Testament are behaving like they're in Old Testament. And the reason is because there's no faith in their heart. When Jesus said it's finished, the veil was torn. And everybody now has access to God's presence. I don't need any long bearded prophet to tell me nothing. Those people can facilitate my ministry. People, my job here today is to to help you to grow. My job here is to to share God's word and help you to to gain light and insight. I'm not supposed to be an intermediary between you and God. You have your own relationship with God. After you have been fed and nourished, you should be able to, you know, get up and do stuff and move stuff. And God wants us to be disciples. He wants us to be sons and daughters that can enter the kitchen and and fix the buffet, organize our meal, and move our lives forward. But the Bible says, a hare, as long as he's a child, is not different from a slave. He's not able to maximize the benefits and the blessings in the house. He says it has to be managed because he doesn't have the kind of sense of responsibility. And there are certain things a responsible father will not place in his hands. As much as I love my son today, I'm not going to give him the keys of my car. Not because I don't love him, because I love himself. That's why I will not give him. Because he can't handle it. There are things I would love him to do for me. There are transactions I would be so happy for him to drive for me. There are places I would like him to represent me, at, but he's not at that age yet. So I am eagerly waiting. And that's the reason why I'm stretching him right now. And I'm challenging him to think in a particular way. And I'm placing certain demands on him that he will not understand. At times I have conversations with him, and he's uncomfortable because he's in his early teens. And I'm saying, I need to put you under this kind of pressure because there's a weight of responsibility I trust that you'll be able to handle it a few years from now. But many of us are running away from the opportunity to grow our spiritual muscles and we don't recognize that God is preparing you for bigger things. That your dreams are small compared to what God has in mind for you, but you need to mature. And the purpose of the church is to mature you. So... Um, whether it's your small groups, whether it's church service, or you, you, you get messages or prayer prayer videos, I want to, to grow your spiritual muscles so that you can be someone that can move stuff in the realm of the spirit. This generation needs to wake up. As far back as I was in secondary school, I remember I would go for night vigils with my friends, and not one single prayer point in that night vigil would be for us. And it was not night vigil that they be doing drama and all of that. We didn't even have we just vigil of pure prayer till morning you will pray in tongues until your tongue will change. After you're like ah, the tongue will enter another gear. When you leave that place in the morning, you know something has shifted in your life. Or is it <sighs> rack up tapes and CDs or speakers and teachers and you are, they, they are teaching you faith, they are teaching you love, they are teaching you stewardship, they are teaching you about the Holy Spirit, about the blood of Jesus, about why Jesus died or teaching you about you know, the principles of, you know, Satan and Harvest, or teaching about tongues, or teaching about gifts of the Spirit, or teaching about fruit of the Spirit. I mean, all sorts of teachings or books, my library. I wasn't doing that because I was jobless. I I recognized that the Bible, God expects me to mature because the more mature I am, the more I'm able to walk in the fullness of the benefit of the covenant. And many people have excused themselves from that. And they just show up in church Make a few notes from a Sunday sermon, and that is it. Look, the truth is that it will take you some distance, but not very far. The church is supposed to mature you so that you become a God on this earth. The way Jesus walked this earth, and he will speak to things and they will happen. He will command doors to open, and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And he was able to fulfill his own ministry, the kind of ministry that God gives to him. It's the same way God expects you to mature spiritually so that you can fulfill your whole ministry. Whatever the ministry, whatever the calling of God is upon your life. So we don't come to church to warm the bench. We don't come to service to warm it. We come to service to be disciples. I think that's where I'll stop because I don't know how much time I have left. If I enter the next I have two more. I have fellowship and ministry. Where's Busola? I can't see her how much time do I have? My time? Up. That's why you're playing. Trying to run me off the stage. It's not working. No. I just thought you were facilitating my ministry. <laughs> and the spirit was moving. I was like, ah, oh, God bless you. I have five minutes more. Okay, so let me just stop here. Look. The Bible says that the earth has endless expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. I I am personally, and I, I say I am personally frustrated, personally, just by the lack of growth in the life of a lot of believers. Because I see how we waste our energy. You know, the Bible says when, when an axe is blunt. Need to apply more force, so, but wisdom is positive to direct your cutting edge can be a lot sharper if you will grow spiritually. There are times the kind of things we are we're trying to move, and the effort we dissipate is, is reflecting our level of ignorance. You know, some people have this big program syndrome. All the breakthroughs that will happen in my life, it will be at a crusade, to be at a you know, it's from one major event to the next. One major event, you cannot, you can't source. That's not how God designed that you live your life. There's nothing wrong with big events. Believe me, you leverage the anointing, you leverage the the wisdom, the grace of God in the house to move your life to the next level. But you see, that cannot be your model. Those are periodic interventions and and faith boosters. But you you need to commit yourself to something. That on your own, by yourself, you can move from one season, from one level of victory to the next. That there are things you are working on with God and he's delivering for you. You are working on it with God and he's delivering for you. That when you put, you release your faith for something, you know. You know what you're doing. You're like, has God heard? Is he listening? Is he not listening? Is he? You know, all those kind of things that are just symptomatic of being a child when it comes to spiritual things. Jesus looked at, this, at the, at the, at the grave of Lazarus and said, you know, Father, I thank you because you always hear me. What a prayer. I can't talk and my father will not hear. He loves me too much. And Jesus was not saying that like, because I'm Jesus. That's why I'm saying that. That's the kind of prayer you should pray. If he always hears Jesus, he always hears you. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. But Jesus was speaking from a place of confidence. Like, thank you because you always hear me. And thank you because you always hear me. What a prayer. He brought a situation to him. and said, 5,000 people. 5,000 people excluding women and children. And we are in the wilderness, we are stranded, and there's no food. I love when I see portions like that in the scripture, it just gets me excited. How did Jesus solve it? How did Jesus solve it? And 5,000 people. And the, the disciples were already looking for how to escape. Just say, tell everybody to go, you know, let's just enter the boat and disappear or something, just to escape that situation. And Jesus took responsibility, said, No, no, no. We give them something to eat. i right, like, How are we going to do that? In a situation of scarcity, the situation is overwhelming. Look at Jesus in the same situation, the Son of God. What did he do? The first thing he said was, you know, expression of faith, calm down. Tell everybody to sit down. Calm down. Situation is not that bad. Calm down. Somebody say, calm down. Calm down. Let them sit down in groups. Let's even dimension the problem. How many people are there? Let them sit in groups of 50s and 100s. Let's, Let's appraise the situation well. Next question What do we have in the house? You know, everybody has said there's nothing, there's nothing. Say, there's something, there's something that God will use. What do we have in the house? What do we have? They say, ah, you know, and you could just see the attitude of the disciples. You know, when you are a child, you know, uh, you trivialize significant things. You walk past things of value and you don't even see them. Your capacity for recognition is weak. That's a sign of a child. You know, back then, let me just digress a bit. I know I have five minutes. So I can't. You know, uh, when, I was, when I was a lot younger, one of my uh, friends' younger sister, I think, if you were to hold, back then we had coins. But if you were to hold, let's say, for instance, uh, two, three, five naira notes, right? Five naira notes. If you were to hold three, five naira notes, and she was holding a one thousand naira note. And you give her three, five naira, and say, "Give me 1,000. She calls each five naira note one money, so that's three monies. And because she's holding one thousand naira note, that is one money. She believes three monies is more than one money, so she will give you the one thousand naira note to collect the five naira notes and she will be happy that that was a good transaction because that's her, her capacity to appreciate stuff is limited. That's what happens to spiritual babes. So Jesus said, what do you have? He said, what do we have? He said, uh, five loaves and two fish and, and one of them said, and what is that among so many? Like What are we talking about? The problem here is beyond this. And Jesus said, bring it, bring it. And what he gave it to Jesus, you know the first thing he did? He didn't complain. He gave thanks. Give thanks. You see, when you see someone that is mature spiritually, they relate with God from a point of confidence, assurance. The first thing he did was he collected it, and he, he Bible said he gave thanks. His disciples said, What is that among so many? What are we talking? What are you saying? What are you, do you know that kind of ah, we're saying there's an economic problem? We are saying that there is you know, he said, Bring it, and he took it and he blessed it, he gave thanks. And then he blessed it. And then he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. and said, let's start with this. And as they were doing something with joy and thanksgiving in had heart for what they had, the miracle happened. Praise God. That's the difference between a mature person and the spiritual people. You need to understand that there's a divine expectation over your life so as you engage with the church and that was redemption for me that was my real salvation as, after getting saved understanding what church means that I, we just don't come here to warm the chair I, I just don't belong to this community because it makes me feel good and the things that God wants to cause to happen in my life can only be birthed when I engage the church purposefully starting by loving God not using God, loving God, being that heart check. Why am I saved? Why am I in this kingdom? Because you see, that's what will rescue you from all this. Is it wrong to do this? Is it right to do this? You see, when people are still asking, Is it wrong to do this? Is it right to do this? Is it wrong to smoke? Is it right to drink? Is it wrong to move into your boyfriend's house before you marry? Is it right to, you know, and you just want to always be, you know, skirting around what is acceptable and what is not acceptable to the extent that you are seen to be okay you know you need to do a heart check do you really love God because you love God some of those questions the answers are very simple you know is it okay to have sex before you get married when you finish having premarital sex how do you feel are you proud of yourself do you get up and say praise the Lord it's a good day that the Lord has made <laughs> you know how you feel why are we why are we asking some of those funny questions you know if you, the love for God solves all of those kind of drama, you just know, you know, you, know, you don't you won't even bring them up. There's a difference. I say to people, there's a difference between I'm doing what is wrong. I need help because I want to break out of it. And I'm doing what is wrong, and I don't care. I've rationalized it. I, I, I see the first category of people as people who can taken away from those kind of things because I have acknowledged that it's not right and I'm seeking help to break away from it because I love God and I don't want to continue like that but for someone who has rationalized it and is now trying to defend it and is trying to you know, you know make it look like it is okay, something is wrong with your love for God you need to quickly check that you need to quickly check that and I spoke about evangelism If you want to be be perpetually on fire spiritually, you know, preach the gospel. You will see the power of God manifest through you in ways that you have never experienced before. You don't need to wear a cassock before the power of God flows through you. The power of God will always flow through people that are concerned about other souls. And I spoke about maturity, discipleship. Let the the words that are preached from this altar Take them beyond what you hear on Sunday. Take them with you throughout the week. Buy the CDs. Download the CDs, the messages on, from your cloud. Go to bookshops and buy books. I want to know how faith works. I want to understand the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to understand the gift of the Spirit. I want to understand the fruit of the Spirit. I want to know how to walk in love. You know, I want to know the power. I want to understand the power of praise. I want to know the power of the name of Jesus. I want to know. But more about the blood. of. I, I want to understand the spiritual arsenal that's been made available to me. I want to understand life in the spirit. And the more understanding you gain, the easier it is for you to navigate and to be able to marshal all those spiritual resources and deploy them to your advantage. That God's name be glorified. Somebody been blessed this morning. Hallelujah. I want to pray I want to pray very quickly for uh, someone in this house this afternoon, I believe. You're here and you're not born again at all. You're being inconsistent. You're just in and out. It's time for you to take a relationship with God very serious. I was not able to talk about the two other two fe- ministries, which is fellowship and ministry. But I want to say to you, God loves you. Uh, God loves you. And he, he gave his life for you. And he wants to give you a new beginning today. He wants to break the hold of sin over your life. You're here, you're not born again. Or you were once born again, but you know that right now your relationship with God is not right. I'll ask that you put your hand on your heart. I want to pray with you. God wants to start something new. Please don't be shy at all. This is about you. I want you to be, I want to be your own person at this time. I don't want you to be shy at all. Just put your hand on your heart. Lord, I, new beginning for me, new beginning for me new beginning for me. I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to serve him. I want to serve him. I want to break. I want the hold of sin over my life to be broken. If if, if you were once born again, but you know that you're not right with God, I also want you to join them. Just put your hand on your heart and say, Lord, it ends today. It's a new beginning for me. It's a new beginning for me. It's a new beginning for me. Hallelujah. If your hand is on your heart, just lift it up. I'd like to see those who are saying the prayer. I can see a couple of people's hands on their heart, but I'm not not sure I can see everybody. So please just lift that hand up. Lift that hand up. Please don't care who is to your left or right. This is about you and God. God bless you. Just lift it up. God bless you. Don't care who that person is. It is you and God. You and God. You and God. You and God. Hallelujah. I thank you, everyone who's hands are up. This is a Life-changing moment for you. If you know your hands are supposed to be up as well, but you have not joined these people, I'm going to give you just next 30 seconds. You know, if if you're having that conversation within yourself, uh, you know, should I, should I, not should I? I tell you you should. You should. You're having that those kind of you know thoughts. You're questioning yourself. If you know that if Christ were to come today, you're not going to spend eternity with Him. I'm talking to you. Just join them. Just join them. God doesn't want you to walk out of this place. The way you came. God bless you. All everyone whose hands are up, ask that you say this prayer after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I commit my life to you. I repent of my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me, and that you raised him up on the third day for my justification. I declare Jesus as my Lord. I declare Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' mighty name. Let me pray to you. Father, thank you for everyone under the influence of this service who has said this prayer. We destroy the hold of sin over their lives. I declare in the name of Jesus that they are translated from darkness into light. I declare that they are established in your courts and that they will abide in this courts and their lives will bring forth fruits to so the praise of your glorious name. Thank you, Father. We give you all the praise for this that you have done. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. And everybody shout and believe in Amen. Hallelujah. Please help me jam your hands together and celebrate everyone who said that prayer and who committed their life to Christ. I want you guys to know it's a new beginning in Christ for you. Just continue to press on into God. Love him with all of your hearts. Just get into his word and study his word. Don't take church lightly you know, sit down and let the word of God penetrate your heart. Let it transform you and serve him. Commit to the work of a kingdom. Preach to others and join this fellowship. And I believe that God will continue to do awesome things in your life. And he that has started a good work, he will indeed perfect it in Jesus' name. Thank you for being such a fantastic audience. God bless you. Thank you for listening to a message from the Life Point Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash lifepointng.